Hi, welcome to FizzGig. I'm Wendy Athwaite and I admit to being fascinated by fizz, the taste, the tingle and most importantly, the trivia. Do join me. We'll explore the myths and the mysteries of the world's greatest sparkling wines. Full disclosure here, I produce English sparkling wine in West Sussex myself, but this podcast is not about our wine in particular or even about English sparkling wine in general. It's about the scintillating world of effervescence. I'll pop a cork and cast a pod on the last Friday of the month and I do hope you'll be with me. And don't forget to listen out for the pudding at the end. It's a little tidbit that, whilst not strictly on point, amuses me. Pop it in your goodie bag as a little fact to take away. So, here we go. TGI Fizz Day. And today, by special request, we're going to explore Franciacorta, Italy's finest sparkling wine. It's much more complex and has greater finesse than the sip-me-quick charms of Prosecco or Moscato d'Asti. And it comes from Lombardy, in northern Italy, between Venice and Milan, so about 80 kilometres drive from Milan airport. There's a bit of a dispute about where the name Franciacorta comes from. Some say Franciacorta, and indeed its still wine counterpart, Cota Franca, refers to the Court of the Franks, meaning the fortified courts established there by the Frankish Empire in the 8th century. And others say it's a derivation of Curtes Franci in the Latin, a 13th century tax-free zone that covered 19 townships in Brescia. Who can say who's right? But given the choice, I'll go for the tax-free option. Like many delicious northern Italian products, its position near the mountains is key and the production area in winemaking terms is very small. It's in the Brescia province near Lake Iseo in the 15 mile area between the Olio River and the Mella River in an area carved by glaciers leaving well-drained mineral rich gravelly soils. The mountains protect the vines from harsh winds, but importantly, let the cooling breezes through, so they temper the hot sunny days. And as you Fizzerati know, this is all important for retaining acidity in the grapes, so that the wine tastes fresh and can age well. The cooling winds also prevent alcohol levels from rampaging, so even though this area is much hotter than Champagne, and typically produces riper fruit with tropical flavours. The air circulation is also jolly useful for drying the vines and keeping them healthy so that organic viticulture is possible. This was embraced by just a single producer in 1999, but now 70% of the 117 wineries are organic. But even organic practices are not entirely benign. One of the things they use to combat vine diseases organically is copper, which is toxic. And the lack of rain means that the copper stays where it's sprayed, on the grape skins. One producer has rather sweetly introduced a series of three whirlpool-style bars to rinse the copper residue from the skins before the grapes are gently dried and then are clean and pristine and ready for pressing. It's this attention to detail that really counts. So like very many vine-growing regions, Franciacorta is hot and it's getting hotter. Already, the vines need deep roots to find water and the vine canopy needs to be carefully managed to stop the grapes from becoming sunburnt. A recent heat wave, nicknamed Lucifer, meant that they had to harvest very early and conversely, the frost of 2017 completely halved the harvest. 
but frangicorta producers have embraced the challenge of climate change and have a plan, which I'll tell you about in a minute. Although wines have been made in this region for centuries, in fact even Pliny gives them an honourable mention, they were still wines drunk locally. But when it comes to bubbles, Franciacorta is the new bambino on the block. It's only been around for 50 years, pretty much a twinkling of an eye in the sparkling wine world. So obviously it produces much less fizz than champagne, only around 17.5 million bottles, about as much as a single champagne house. The price of Franciacorta is not cheap, around £30 a bottle, and it's tricky to get hold of because only 11% of it is exported, and that's principally to Switzerland and Japan. The first sparkling Franciacorta was produced by the Bulluki winery in the late 1950s. It mimicked champagne, literally, a champagne, and was very well received and rapidly expanded. The Franciacorta DOC was created in 1967 and covered both sparkling and still wines, and Franciacorta's sparkling wines were promoted to DOCG, the highest level, in 1995. So, Franciacorta is similar to Champagne in that it's made in the traditional method, the Metodo Classico. It's made from largely the same grapes. So Chardonnay and Pinot Noir, although there's no Pinot Meunier, and there's also a little bit of Pinot Blanc. They used to use Pinot Grigio, but they're eliminating it because it's too difficult to get to perform at its best, and its flavours are described as too neutral. Like Champagne, it comes in vintage and non-vintage forms. And importantly, there's prolonged bottle ageing on the lees. 18 months for non-vintage, 24 months for rosé and satin, 30 months for vintage millesimiato, where at least 85% of the wine must come from the same year, and a whopping 60 months, that is five and a half years after harvest, for the reserva wines. I know it's a matter of personal preference, but I love the prolonged ageing. The Franciacorta equivalent of Blanc de Blanc that is, white wine from white grapes, is called Franciacorta Satin, meaning silk. It's made exclusively from Chardonnay and Pinot Bianco. It has a lower bottle pressure, so more gentle bubbling for a creamy sensation. Franciacorta Rosé must have at least 35% Pinot Nero in the base wine, but Rosé is only 5% of Franciacorta production. The tasting notes of Franciacorta are very similar to those of Champagne and the vocabulary is identical. It's biscuit, brioche, lemon, lees. But the most obvious difference in the flavour profile is that Franciacorta is fruitier with lower acidity because Franciacorta is hotter and so the grapes ripen more. About 80% of the wine is made from Chardonnay to give rich, elegant, tropical fruit flavours with about 15% Pinot Nero for structure and soul and 5% Pinot Bianco for its elegant floral aromas and citrusy notes. So far, so champagne. But the game-changer may be the local Brescia grape, Urbamad. This is a late ripening grape, ripening six to eight weeks after Chardonnay, which may help Franciacorta forge its own identity, and it's ideal for mitigating the impact of climate change as it has much higher acidity and lower alcohol. 
producers are currently allowed to add up to 10% of Elbermat in their blend and it adds vibrancy and highlights, and I apologise in advance for using this dreadful term, minerality. Many Franciacorta producers are also adopting no or low dosage. In Champagne, the dosage is about 7 grams per litre, but the Hotter Franciacorta produces richer fruit with lots of sugar, which would normally turn into high alcohol during fermentation, and which would get even more alcoholic during secondary fermentation. By adopting zero dosage, that is, not adding any more sugar to the sugar that's already there, producers can control the alcohol levels. As physicists are well aware, it would be utterly misleading to call it good for the waistline. The calories are already in the wine, but there's just less added sugar at disgorgement. So, to meet the challenges of climate change, Franciacorta is experimenting with a local grape, Urbama, in a variety much more suited to the hotter temperatures. It's adopting zero dosage in its winemaking methods. It's taking higher quality grapes and lower yields of them and it's adopting organic viticultural practices. Not bad, eh? So the result is, in my opinion, a stunning sparkling wine, well worth the effort of trying to track it down. Frankly, its nickname of Italy's Champagne is slightly insulting. Franciacorta is better than most champagnes, and it's certainly the finest of all Italy's frizz. So I say, bravo! Anyone for pudding? It's hard to overestimate the importance of tax on booze. It literally changes the drinking world. Between the 17th and the 18th century, French wines were subjected to very high taxes in England because we were frequently at war with France and the Napoleon Wars were particularly inconvenient. So that Brits turned to the wines of Spain and Portugal instead and their love affair with port and sherry began. French wines were even smuggled into the UK via Spain and Portugal to dodge the tax. People could always drink the local homebrew, beer, of course, and they did. But if wines were too expensive, then they turned to gin from Holland, then taxed as the same level as the much weaker beer. When the Georgians tried to raise the tax on gin in the Gin Act of 1736, the public rioted and the government had to back down. So tax dramatically affects our choice of tipple. And as Admiral Nelson so very nearly said before the Battle of Trafalgar, England expects every man to pay his duty. So you may be interested to know that the tax on every bottle of English sparkling is currently £3.43, and pence, including VAT. In Italy, all that lovely Prosecco, Asti and Franciacorta, it's zero. In Spain, all that lovely carver, it's zero. In France, all those lovely champagnes and cremants, it's eight cents. In fact, in nine EU countries today, the total duty is below the equivalent of 10p a bottle, which means that there's an enormous extra £40 of tax for every 12 bottles of English sparkling wine over every 12 bottles of champagne. Just thought you and the Chancellor would like to know. But while we're on the subject of Nelson, he was shot and died at the Battle of Trafalgar, but obviously not as a result of his views on duty. His body was returned to England, preserved in a barrel of brandy. However, 
As it took 80 days to get his body back, by the time it arrived, rumours had Nelson pickled in Navy rum. Despite the tenuous link, many rums are named after Nelson, notably Admiral Nelson's spiced rum. Somewhat discourteously, in recent intellectual property litigation in Canada, Captain Morgan's rums ousted Admiral Nelson's from the shelves. And it's not often a captain outranks an admiral. Nelson's ship was famously the Victory, but the speedier ship that brought news of his death was the aptly named HMS Pickle. I'm afraid, although the spirit was willing to halt the body's decomposition, the flesh was weak and the inevitable build-up of gas in Nelson's barrel of brandy led to an eruption which blew off the lid and terrified the night watch into thinking that Nelson was back. He would have had good cause to be miffed. The sailors had helped themselves to tipples from the barrel, a practice still known as tapping the Admiral, and Navy rum is nicknamed Nelson's blood. Quite disgusting, really. As regular fizz giggers will doubtless remember, in 1799, Nelson had been made the Duke of Bronte after he helped Ferdinand III resist rioting in Naples. Bronte is that area near Etna on Sicily, which is famous for its pistachio nuts, but also has some rather good wines. The word Bronte derives from the Thunderer, and the Greeks believed that the Cyclops lived under the volcano, bashing away at their forge. Around this time, a certain Patrick Brunty arrived in England from Ireland and eventually became Rector of Howarth. He subtly changed his name from Brunty to Bronte to venerate Nelson, the great English hero. And later, he had a son and three daughters, Charlotte, Emily and Anne, who turned out to be rather literary. Agnes Grey, Jane Eyre and Wuthering Heights could so easily have been written by the Brontes. At the time, people also started drinking a fortified wine named Bronte in Nelson's honour. Forget the column, the drink's a proper legacy. You can still get a Bramblebury and Slow Gin called Bronte in Yorkshire, which is made by the descendant of the literary Brontes. What a virtuous circle. So, there we have it, Fizzerati. We've found Franciacorta, the most interesting effervescent in Italy. Thanks for listening. This is the last podcast of this season. I've loved our time together, and I look forward to a time when we'll meet again. But until then, may your wine, like your wit, be sparkling. Chin chin! <laughs> <laughs>